it was in the ninth grade. There was a buzz of a notification on my phone, and like always, I had the Pelovian response to reach and grab for it instantly, as if I were genuinely like a dog running straight to a queue. And I remember in that, between the buzz and that response, I finally asked myself something that I had not really considered. Why am I allowing my phone to control my life, and not only control my life, but to decrease my happiness and my sense of self and things that are meant to sustain and fulfill me. Welcome to the Social Complex Podcast, where we are diving into the complex impact and influence of social media on brands, brains, and the bigger picture of our modern world. Here's your host, Hillary Applegate. Social media is all around us and it's all consuming. Whether you have one platform, multiple platforms, a Finsta, multiple personas, managing it for brands, it is everywhere. Have you ever been so inclined as to take a step back or feel like you're in need of a detox a little bit? Taking time away from social media usage has become increasingly popular over the last few years. And a lot of this is actually stemming from younger generations. So Gen Z millennials are really starting to lead the charge on responsible usage of social media platforms, from how many hours a day you're spending on platforms to even taking multiple days off, stepping away from the technology that we hold near and dear to us. And one organization that is helping to lead the charge in growing awareness and social consciousness of how people are using these platforms is a group called Log Off Movement headed by our guest today, Emma Lemke. Emma is a 20-year-old youth digital advocate seeking to spread digital consciousness and integrate youth voices in conversations regarding tech. In addition to her advocacy efforts, Lemke is a third-year rising political science major at Washington University in St. Louis. Lemke is the founder of Log Off, a youth movement founded in 2020 to uplift and empower youth to tackle the complexities of social media and its impact on younger generations. As a youth-led movement, LogOff provides an often overlooked and critical perspective on social media by leveraging and empowering the underrepresented experts in the field, Generation Z. Today, Emma and I talk all about the implications of social media usage, how going completely cold turkey online is not only unreasonable for a lot of people, but unrealistic, and tools and tips that anyone and everyone can use to help build a safer, smarter, and more intentional relationship with social and digital media. Without further ado, let's get into it. I guess I'm going to have to ask you an easy question right now, which is what I just asked you off the air, but Emma Lemke, what are you reading right now? I am currently reading two books. One of them I am rereading called Atomic Habits, which I just, I think everyone should read at least once a year as a refreshing activity to just rethink your own values and kind of what you're doing with your time. Uh, So doing that. And then the second book I'm reading is called 24-6, The Power of Unplugging One Day a Week. And that is a novel that is kind of about carving out a space and time during your week to mentally log off and physically log out of your devices and take that time to prioritize in-person connection and the fulfillment of oneself outside of technology. So is that 
entirely tech-based, like your computer, your music, your social media, where, like, where does that line stop for that one day a week in that book? Good question. I, you know, as of right now, I think it's subjective, especially like when with my work and log off, I always say things like that and digital unplugs should be based off of what the individual needs. So like for me as a student, if I try to unplug one day a week, that just wouldn't be possible because I, I need to get work done. But for, you know, a lot of individuals who are kind of have the weekend and have greater boundaries between work life um, and greater schedules regarding kind of how much energy and time they're going to put into their personal versus professional kind of careers and existences, that could be fully unplugging. I know um, individuals that have completely gotten rid of all devices. I'm talking like phones, computers, Apple watches, um, a lot of just small digital things that we use every day um, and have touted the the benefits of a complete unplug. But, you know, I think it just depends on the individual. For me, I can't do a full unplug, but I would fully, and I'm hoping to implement this, would do no phone, no social media, and just rely on my Apple Watch for like anything I would need related to tracking, um, and then my GPS in my car to be able to get places. That's kind of wild to hear, too, as far as all the technology as you're listing it off, because I think that a lot of people look at their phone, and they think that's the technology, mm-hmm. but it's also your television, and like you said, your Apple Watch, and all of these other mechanisms mm-hmm. that we're using every day and every night and all week, all the time. What have you seen, you know, as far as the range in which people need to log off or the range in which people mm-hmm. are unplugging for, you know, lack of a better term, yeah. you know, what are some of the the more serious or in, intensive detoxes and what are some of the lighter ones that you've noticed as far as a pattern, especially among Gen Z? Mm. I've seen it all. I think I have seen it even on, you know, Instagram and TikTok as a postmortem, individuals reflecting on a complete detox. So no phone usage past a certain time, no computer use in specific areas of the house. So really customizing the when, where, and what regarding their devices and kind of their relationship and usage. I've seen that really play out in a very structured manner. And I've seen many and heard many of my friends say, for my digital detox, I do not use Instagram um, specifically and TikTok during this period of the day, but I let myself have free reign outside of that. So I think the range of digital detoxes, and and I say range, I think uh, it's kind of the, the magnitude by which you decide to unplug related to both the amount of digital devices that you're relieving yourself from and that you're stepping back from and the duration really does range because Generation Z, I think, has such a complicated and complex relationship across um, across our generation with technology, both from feeling incredibly addicted and incredibly harmed to really benefiting from these technologies and devices. So finding that balance for a lot of individuals can be really difficult. And it might first start with, you know, an unrealistic complete detox to then better understand, okay, well, what are the features and aspects that I actually need and enjoy? And I want to add back in. Um, but 
I think it just truly does depend on the individual and like what is necessary for them and what is aligned with their values and what they believe will best benefit their well-being and kind of their mental health. But I've seen it all. And I think, you know, moving forward with even my own work and my own personal experience unplugging, I've tried a lot of it. I think it's it's all about trial and error. And you can see that through the diverse array of novels and podcasts and online resources that can walk you through um, detoxes and unplugging journeys. It's funny that you say that this is really common among your Gen Z peers because it sounds a lot like self-discipline, which Mm -hmm. people don't always associate with younger people. You know, it's like indulgent and, you know, you get out of the house and you don't have your parents supervising you anymore and you go crazy and you do all these things. At least, you know, millennial here. That was my experience. Mm -hmm. And to hear about this wave of self-realization of, okay, this is what works for me and this is what's not working for me, or I'm going to try something full full speed and then I'm going to tailor it back and tinker and add back in elements that are working best for me. Where do you think that that comes from, that, like, that inherent ability to a degree self-regulate? Is that coming from a history of how this generation was raised? Or do you think it is something that because, I don't want to say because of social media, but because of this connectedness and ability to access information so rapidly, it is opening awareness to a different way of living and, and communicating within technology? I think it's both. I don't think that there's one specific answer, but I think that you have touched upon the two the the two best variables I'd point towards. Um, specifically in looking at Generation Z and the ecosystem to which they grew up in, both online and around them. I think Generation Z has grown up in a era of rapid acceleration, both in terms of social issues, social movements, and digital you know, technologies and innovation. So we have grown up with technology. We've seen it. I had a, an iPod when I was super, super young, um, all the way to now having a, a new iPhone in my hand. It's just we have seen and grown up with emerging technologies. And to your point, we have been able to take advantage of and be harmed by the vast connectedness and how streamlined it has become to not only interact with one another and the world around us and information. And I think that information has raised consciousness to the degree that other generations have not had access to. But I also think information paralysis um, has been a large issue within generations and within specifically ours. Um, but kind of going back to your question, more more generally speaking, social issues I also would point to as an um, as a player in the equation. Specifically, looking at like the BLM movement, looking at women's rights. We have been in an unprecedented period of time where young people and people more generally have been demanding better for individual rights and for our abilities to express ourselves and to exist in a manner that is inclusive and open to all. And I think what that has meant is that it has 
made a lot of people reconsider what they value most. Um, if you have all this access to information and you're in an evolving ecosystem that is telling you, you know, be who you are and fight for what you believe in, you're forced to be more mindful and ask, okay, well, what do I believe in? What do I really value most? And I think it's within that framework and within that kind of mental, again, reframing that individuals then become a bit more self-disciplined, or at least they are forced to ask, well, do I want to spend all my time online? Or like, do I want to use a lot of my you know efforts and energy to be mindlessly scrolling or to be posting and creating new content? I just think that we're a generation that has been primed and given, you know, a lot of resources to have those kind of reflective moments and to not only have them, but act upon them because you've got all the resources at your fingertips with Google, with TikTok, and with all the emerging social platforms. So I view it as a really beautiful thing that my generation is, I think, very conscious and aware, but I do truly believe that there's so much further and farther to go. And I think that's, you know, why I got involved in the digital well-being space, but then also why I'm personally incredibly interested in like digital marketing and like digital engagement, because that's a way to reap the benefits of the online space and create engaging content that that assist the people around us in having those reflective moments, but also working from a digital advocate's perspective of mitigating the harms of the spread of, you know, harmful content and the spread of dis and misinformation. Yep. I couldn't agree more. And I, I do think that especially being in digital marketing personally, it's been my entire career. I've always seen this space as something that if you don't keep it like safe and sacred to a degree and acknowledge the downfalls and shortcomings of the platforms themselves, then eventually it's going to become a toxic place where people can't even come. They don't even want to come and then they go somewhere else. So, you know, making it a space that is safe and acknowledging its shortcomings is I think the key to keeping it, its longevity and making it as beneficial for everybody as possible. I want to go back to little Emma, though. You said that you had an iPod at a very young age. Do you remember what iPod it was? Oh, my gosh. I, you know what? I don't. And quite honestly, it, this this conversation awoke a memory because I, I, um, I went through many different iterations of the tiny little one, you know, where you only have like the the next button. You can like download. The square and one. Attach, like, With the yes, I had I had that, but I shared it with my sisters. Um, and I think one of the few songs I had on it, I think it was like Sharpay from High School Musical okay. um, and some Jonas Brothers, um, which is a beautiful time capsule of my childhood. Um, but, you know, it was to me a technology that did not actually harm my mental health. And I think that that was a really wonderful introduction to getting involved and benefiting from the usage of technology to not just like automate something mundane and something, you know, uh, that, that can be pawned off to technology in my life. It, it was a way of expressing myself. Mm -hmm. I remember I would, you know, put in my, my earbuds and I would just dance and it was the best moment. And it was my time to just be with myself and to have a really fulfilling moment. But, you know, then when I was 12, I got social media and that was very different. That was a very different interaction with the online space and the online world, because to your point, you know, 
I can also reap wonderful benefits. Um, I can reap many more expressive modes and vehicles by using social media. I can post video content. I can engage with individuals across the world and my friends around me. I can archive my experiences in my life to show people later on and to just have for myself. But then also with that came so many other negative uh, harms of, you know, comparing myself to people consistently, being pulled in by things like autoplay, you know, really quantifying my worth through likes and comments and followers, like working on my following follower ratio in a very obsessive manner. So I think I entered the app assuming that it was going to be magical, as magical as that iPod, but I was not trained or told about ways to protect myself and my mental health and, you know, also ways in which I can proactively and positively interact in the online world to not, you know, recycle its harms, um, which is a, it's a huge point that I think many organizations and like, you know, I hope digital marketers in general look at is like, you know, how do you contribute to a more inclusive, open and creative ecosystem online rather than, you know, participating in one that is, you know, harming individuals, young people and their mental health. There are so many things that can be done to preserve what's beautiful about the internet while really pointing out and breaking down its issues. So thinking about you at 12, what were you getting on? Was that Facebook at that time? That was Instagram. Was that was the oh gosh. very old Instagram, the ugly one. The, I know. the sepia tone Instagram. <laughs> Yes. And I remember when I saw the new gradient, I was like, this isn't going to work. Like this isn't as cool as the other one. Wait, I need to know, um, was it horizontal yet or was it only square? It was horizontal. <gasps> it was horizontal. I remember um, in like before I even, before I even really had Instagram, um, I think it was in the fifth grade, uh, we had a large, you know, innovation project where we had to pitch an, an idea for anything. So broad, an idea for anything um, that we think would make money. And my pitch was to have like glasses that had the like Instagram lens in it. And you could like click the picture, like click a picture on the side of your glasses and it would instantly upload and post to Instagram, something cool like that. So in my head, I was like, in love with the idea of going on Instagram, super excited to engage. Um, and again, I to this day, it's one of the apps that I actually spend the most of my time on when it comes to my social media usage, because I, I really love the idea of, you know, curating material, creating a feed that makes me feel better. But I also do think that Instagram brings to the table a lot of really important issues and really monumental challenges when it comes to content moderation and when it comes to just addictive uh, techniques that are employed by designers to pull people in that might not necessarily be for the benefit of the user. So entered Instagram and then eventually made my way down to Twitter and, you know, to Facebook and to TikTok then eventually. But Instagram was for me the starting point of my usage and engagement with social media. So so as a 12-year-old kid, especially being a 12-year-old girl, that is just a heck of a time. Like 12 oh, is yeah. rough. I think 12 was my roughest year. It's just you oh, are going yeah. through it in middle school as a girl hormonally and socially. And mm -hmm. it's just, it's a lot. So tell me about if, if you can even remember what it was like to see 
you know, other people who appeared to have it together. You're in this Mm -hmm. 12 year old body. You're just like, what is happening in the world? And like, why don't I look like X, Y, or Z? Like, what was that Mm -hmm. experience like? Not just comparing yourself to your immediate peers in person and at school, but to everybody and their mother on Instagram. It was paralyzing. Um, You know, as you pointed out, being a young female, you know, 12 years old, going through middle school, still I'm 20 years old and I'm still, there are still so many days that I struggle with my self-image and things that kind of um, are really difficult to, uh, that you have to tackle when you're a, a woman. Um, it was kind of the period in my life when I was transitioning out of just, you know, caring about hanging out with my friends, caring about like my family. Obviously I, I then felt and started to, you know, sense external pressures. So like, what is it like to be a woman? Like I see online, I'm scrolling and it, I see Kim Kardashian. Do I need to look like that? Like, is that what it takes to be valued? Um, and especially as a young female who I, I already really, really struggled with my, you know, like body image, sense of self, like eating patterns, things like that. It amplified a lot of the issues and negative self-talk that I was already experiencing. And I didn't know how to deal with it because I began viewing and looking at, you know, edited images of like models. And the more that I would click those images, the more it would feed me. So it was this, this feedback loop that just consistently was harming my mental health, was making me feel inadequate and really, you know, idealizing this thin Instagram, you know, promoted uh, look, this idealistic body image that could never be achieved. But as a 12-year-old girl, I didn't know that. So I started to strive towards an ideal that was just that. It was an ideal and it was completely false um, and unattainable, which I think for a really young girl, it's setting yourself up for a lifetime of failure to say that if you're striving to look like an Instagram model or an Instagram influencer, you will never be happy with yourself. And I think that that was really difficult, especially because Instagram not only, I think, deepened those feelings, but it provided me with actions to harm myself. So with YouTube autoplay, you know, I was looking up healthy recipes that would then feed me knowing, knowing that, and or believing I was a young girl and knowing that I would stay on longer if it fed me a worse dieting video that was, you know, promoting 300, 400 calorie days and like over exercising that knew it would keep me on. So I began falling down, really plummeting into harmful rabbit holes that allowed me to act upon the negative thoughts that were really born out of my my usage of Instagram and of YouTube and of these social media platforms. And, you know, eventually when I got out of that really dark hole um, with scars of, of, you know, both issues with disordered eating, with my own self-worth, things like that. I knew the steps I had to take because I did research. I, I unfollowed a lot of accounts. I looked at, you know, how does Instagram and other apps provide mechanisms to turn off autoplay and addictive features that I felt exacerbated the issues and the emotions that I wanted to work on in addition to following, you know, body positive accounts and influencers that were really promoting the content I wanted to see. 
no matter the steps I took, I still was left with those scars. So I think for me, one of the major drivers of my own work now in digital advocacy and beyond as I enter, you know, the workforce and I continue along with, with my interest in, in marketing and the online world and beyond, it's just really important for me to look at how do you protect those 12-year-old girls and all of the the subsequent generations of young women who will enter social media as naive consumers of material that might not be best for their mental health? How do you prioritize their well-being and their their experience on social media to put their health and safety at the center of it? So that's kind of my perspective in a lot of my advocacy work because it was born out of a really dark, dark experience related to my mental well-being as a 12-year-old girl on Instagram and YouTube. So when when you did end up starting Log Off Movement, tell me about that road. I know I know a lot of this led to that very moment, but what was kind of the minute that you decided I need to do something more about this and I'm going to start Log Off Movement? Yeah. So I remember um, it was in the ninth grade. I had just there was a buzz of a notification on my phone. And like always, I had the Pelovian response to reach and grab for it instantly, as if I were genuinely like a dog running straight to a queue. And I remember in that between the buzz and that response, I finally asked myself something that I had not really considered, you know, why? Why am I allowing my phone to control my life and not only control my life, but to decrease my happiness and my sense of self and things that are meant to sustain and fulfill me, I'm allowing myself to be depleted and to decrease the quality of, you know, my existence based off of a platform that is completely separate from who I am. And I had to ask, you know, why was I allowing my agency to be taken away? But Also, how was that happening? What was happening within these platforms and these apps to create such negative externalities? And that moment of realization, I guess just prodding and um, interrogation, led me to do research to which I found, you know, articles from social media. Is it bad for your mental health? You know, how do you change features on your phone to better support the values that you hold dear all the way to, you know, how does the attention economy fuel issues related to uh, body image and body dysmorphia? I really started to dig in deep to not only the issues found on the online world, but the specific features that were fueling them and the ways that individuals felt like they really benefited online. What, the, the reason why individuals, no matter the harms, continue to go in and to invest their time and energy into online platforms. And through all of that research, I think I came to my own personal determination, which was, wow, the internet and social media and social networks specifically are so powerful. They have allowed us to truly connect and express and explore the world in a way that is unknown to any other generation other than Gen Z, which we've grown up with, with these devices and these networks. But within all of that beauty, there are weeds. There are ways in which individuals can be harmed and can severely impact, you know, the well-being of a user and we need to find ways to hold companies and creators accountable while also finding the things we love most 
and propping them up to show the reason why we need to continue to engage to create safer spaces because we want to preserve aspects, characteristics, and features of others. So I really wanted to have those conversations with young people about creating those better tech habits and really um, working hard on rebuilding our society's awareness regarding their own usage and making sure that people are spending time to reflect upon what works best for them and acting upon that rather than any arbitrary status quos that you have as like a 12 year old that you think you should enter, you know, like a social media platform. And from, from all of that, that determination from all of that self-reflection, I just wanted to find a community of other people to have those kind of those conversations and to ask those important questions. So the log off movement was born out of that. And to this day, three years later, you know, that was senior year in um, my senior year summer, three years later, I'm a rising junior um, and going into college. And I still am researching and I'm still looking at the online world really critically because I've learned that it's not just uh, something like that you have as a passion project and you archive and put aside. It is an ongoing conversation that needs to continue because there are so many stakeholders that are invested and so many individuals that can be benefited from more critically looking at creating better, safer, and more engaging digital spaces and content that will uplift the user rather than introduce any potential harm. So that's what Log Off has kind of evolved to to take on. And we've just been really grateful with all of the engagement that we've had from young people and from just many different stakeholders in the space, like including yourself. And it shows you that the need is there because like Mm -hmm. you said, you want a community of people that are feeling a similar way and what better way to, to do that than to build one yourself. But with this age, I feel like a lot of the mental health detoxes are m- coming much more from digital natives. So Gen Z, millennial uh, to a degree, but the idea of getting away from social media or technology, having that detox, being more curious about this. And, and I, I often correlate this awareness of self with digital as more of a critical thinking pattern of like having the critical thinking to know what is serving you, what isn't serving you. But I'm really curious, what is your perception and or what research have you seen about the older generations? So baby boomers and Gen X, you know, is there any core difference in how they are using social media or digital Mm -hmm. forums in a way that is potentially different than that of Gen Z and millennials? Mm, I think it's completely different. Um, But but also there are common, you know, there are common issues that just evolve, I think, with differing maturity levels and periods of people's lives. Um, So this is one thing that I've, one conversation I love to have with parents and with just, you know, my family members and my friends uh, who are older, they'll, they'll say to me, well, Emma, you realize I know you're working on youth advocacy, but I still deal with all the stuff you're talking about. I had a conversation with a older woman, I believe she was about 40 years old. And she said, I still am looking at all of my friends' baby pictures and thinking like, oh, should I take my daughter and do this? Should I be a better mom? Like, what, what am I not doing? Am I doing something wrong? And that 
desire to just compare yourself to others, it doesn't go away. I think it's really innate to being a, you know, being a human being, but social media obviously provides such an easy way to view everything else that other people are doing rather than kind of being ignorant and not kind of knowing what you're not involved in or what you're not doing, what you're not engaging with. So I think that is something I've, I've seen across generations is the need to compare each other, compare ourselves to the other people within our age bracket, within our group, and feel a sense of inadequacy. But regarding digital addiction, that's something that I've seen has been very different. So for instance, many adults and parents I've talked to, their issues with their screen time usage, they kind of manifest in very different ways that I think reflect why they are having to go online in the first place. For instance, a lot of people I know are addicted to their email, to constantly scrolling, to constantly going um, and checking to see the next thing that they find out that they're not really participating or engaging with their younger kids or with family members. If you asked a member of Gen Z, are you addicted to your Gmail? They'd probably laugh and say, I don't respond to emails for days. Even looking at, you know, screen time issues in specific places in the house. I've heard a lot of adults who have difficulty unplugging at the dinner table. And I think members of Gen Z also have issues unplugging at the dinner table and things like that. But also a lot of people I know who are younger just mimic their parents and other generations. So it's kind of a a mirroring effect of issues that older generations are having with their own screen time. And then specifically with social media, I think The different platforms are another um, uh, differentiating factor. So a lot of people I know who are older, they don't go on Instagram as much. Um, They're more on Facebook. I think the way in which user breakdown is mapped, I've seen research that, that talks about this and unpacks it a bit more. Younger people tend to gravitate towards, increasingly tend to gravitate towards TikTok. And a lot of older generations and specific areas of the world tend to gravitate more towards Facebook. So again, depending on where you are in the world, what age you are, what generation that you're a part of, I do think that there are common trends. But I don't think that that should be used to minimize the fact that a lot of the issues that a, you know I was having a, as a 12-year-old girl comparing myself to other people, they still are on social media for 40-year-olds and for 80-year-olds. Like, however old you are, it does not mean that you can escape, I think, a lot of the issues that come with scrolling online in a way that is unregulated. So when you're growing up, because you are just, you know, you're you're still in school and you were closer to the school age um, than I am, what, what was the advice, parameters, rules, you know, kind of playground rules that you heard or echoed from your school, from your teachers, from your parents when it came to social media, if any. That's, I appreciate the, if any, um, within my school, we were, we were told to act as if we had a camera, like a GoPro on at all times. And our parents were at home watching the GoPro feed And you had to ask yourself, would your parent be proud of what you're doing right now? And I remember hearing that. And even as a young child, I remember thinking, like, that is honestly so ridiculous. Um, One, the idea that I'd be wearing a GoPro all day, that is not feasible. But two, 
I don't think that that is how you should be teaching, you know, media, social media literacy, digital literacy at large. I think that is one of the major issues that I have found and that I continuously reiterate to parents and adults who are in a position to help steer and create a a digital roadmap for a young person. Do not enter a conversation with a judgmental tone. You will be surveillanced. (laughs) Right. You like you will be surveyed. Like your parents will sit you down, walk you through the feet at the end of the day. Like that's terrifying. That's some black Um, mirror world. Yes. Yes. I was like, I genuinely remember that day so, so clearly. And my memory fails me oftentimes. Um, But I think parents and, and individuals in positions of power to help steer a young person in their social media usage, they just need to enter the conversation in a very curious manner that is non-judgmental. It is open and it is, you know, explicitly and directly for the purpose of building out, collaboratively building out a plan that is to promote and to protect the well-being of a young person. I think it's important to reiterate to schools and to parents, limiting your digital usage is not meant as a way to limit your, your ability to express yourself or to limit your ability to have a social life. This is not meant to inhibit your life and, and the way that you want to engage with the people around you. It's just meant to protect you because there are greater forces at work here than you understand. Um, And I think having that conversation and explaining and talking with your young person, um, even from an educational perspective about, you know, why do you want to enter, you know, really mindfully and intentionally charting out why you go to social media, what you like to do. Then on the flip side, talking about, you know, as a parent or as an educator, what are your concerns? Where do you find that you're really nervous about a young person entering the online space? And where do you, what do you think young people have to know? Coming in with those questions and with those critical kind of checkpoints, it's really important in a non-judgmental way. Because I entered the educational space and the conversation was incredibly judgmental. It was you, we all know you are going to do bad stuff online and you're going to be surveilled and your parents are going to be really upset at you. Um, and if I find anything on your phone, you're done. Think, like That type of harsh, draconian language was always used. But I truly think that that was representative of the fact that we were being taught by generations that didn't understand the issue and they knew that being a digital native meant that we understood and have a kind of you know digital literacy unlike any other age group. Um but you know my parents approached my parents approached our screen time habits in a very different manner they tried to, to get us you know to put our phones outside of our bed at the end of the night which i think was great but the enforcement there um was lacking so i would always run back out grab it go back to sleep um and then scroll so i think you know that's when i really do go back to what i had mentioned earlier about having that open and honest dialogue so that your young person truly understands why you are doing something and why it is that you are collaboratively building out better habits and boundaries. It is as an attempt to protect yourself. It's in an attempt to really ensure that your young person is extrapolating and and capitalizing upon the beneficial aspects of the online world, but truly going in with awareness, with mindfulness, and with protection. And a lot of time that protection might come in the form of those boundaries that your parents put into place. But as long as it's articulated 
why you're putting in the boundaries and for what purpose, uh, I, I do think that that is the best way that you can move forward. And that's the way that when I have a kid, I'm going to approach the conversation of social media and screen time usage. It's funny because hearing you talk about it, it honestly sounds so similar to like sex education, mm-hmm. social media mm-hmm. education and sex ed. Abstinence is not necessarily the best result, you know, like you're not really going to get the yeah. best return on investment of that conversation. However, if you do approach it with more critical thinking, protection, focus on mm-hmm. safety first. Yes. Self-identity is not stripped but encouraged. Curiosity is fine, but danger is not. All the things. There's a lot of similarities there. But when you're, I'm hearing you talk about it, it's, it is interesting because there are some generational differences even between my experience as a millennial and hearing you know more about the Gen Z experience because when I was going through school, my parents are baby boomers. So they had no clue, like no no clue whatsoever about social media. So it was not even on their radar to talk to me about it or to have boundaries or have parameters because it was still just like a new topic. So I remember being on, you know, Yahoo Games chat forums with like <laughs> random ass people when mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was 12. And I and like I think back to that and I'm just like, I would obviously now know. Like if my kid is somewhere, I would be like, uh-uh, I know exactly what you're doing. <laughs> so, yes. you know, as as the generations got older, even, you know, as social media became more embraced by baby boomers and by Gen X, then they were looking at it and saying, oh my gosh, all of the horrible opportunities and all the things that can go wrong here, you know, protect, 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 keep kids away from it. You know, I can imagine why schools would be in such a frenzy about it because all of a sudden they're like, oh my gosh, danger, danger. But it was funny uh, because I had Emily Vogels from Pew Research here, and she had run a study on teenagers and you know kids who are talking about uh, social media and digital media and online harassment um, and, and, and testing kind of how mm-hmm. kids are experiencing that uh, in their own ways and using digital media. And the fascinating research that came out of that was that kids would look and think, say that what they were doing online was not as bad as what their parents thought they were doing. Mm-hmm. And so, and that was like the majority is like what I'm doing online is better, worse, or about the same as my parents like think it is. And it was always better. Like it was always, it's not nearly as bad as they think it is. But then the flip side is peer to peer where they're saying my friend, like I, do I struggle with social media? No. Do my friends struggle with social media? Yes. And mm-hmm. so it, you, it's hard to tell and be able to get in there and diagnose. It's like, well, are you just thinking that it's not that bad because it's you and you're able to look at someone else's external experience and say, oh yeah, I can, I can, I can poke some flaws in that. I can see where that might be a little bit harmful for them, but you're struggling with that looking back on yourself or simultaneously, is it that it's not actually that bad for the other person, but you're, you know, projecting or thinking mm-hmm. it may be. So there's like a lot of fascinating research out there. And I also have to ask, because you have the same last name, are you related to Dr. Anna Lemke at all? Oh, I wish. I, <laughs> you know, we've been in webinars before. And I remember the first webinar we were in together, she, beforehand, she was like, do you have ancestors in Germany? And I was like, I do. So part of me really hopes that we are like distantly related, um, but no direct relation. That but it, so it really, I love her work. And to your point, like, 
so many evolving and, and emerging studies are coming out seeking to answer that question about like, how do we perceive our own usage and how can we kind of increase our digital consciousness so that we are a bit more mindful of how we actually are interacting with social media and like really able to articulately gauge our, our, you know, digital usage. Cause oftentimes it can be pretty hard to internally gauge where we are at, but from a third person perspective, it's much easier to review and to rebuke and to, to look at other people's uh, issues and poke holes. But I, I do really encourage individuals when they are wanting to build like a better relationship with technology and social media more generally. I always say like, act like you are reviewing yourself as a third person, like mm-hmm. you are not connected to you. Like how much time are you spending? Be very honest, be critical and don't be judgmental because no one is going to be judging your screen time except for you. You will be your harshest critic. The GoPro monitoring you is actually you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You are the one at the feed. They see that's even more black mirror. Like you are the one at the end of your GoPro feed. Um, so at the end of the day, an episode. we did, we're going to be contacted. Um, at the end of the day, it's, it's your life that you're trying to rebuild. It, it is all for the benefit of your mental, your physical, and your emotional health and social health. Mm-hmm. So the work that you put in is meant for the betterment uh, of yourself. And I think a lot of individuals build screen time, you know, manifestos and plans and take these detoxes because they are wanting to appease external forces. So like, I'm going to take a complete detox because, you know, people said that to me, why don't you take complete detoxes? And I say, that's not for me. I know a lot of people in the space do it, but that's not personally my thing. Externally, I think it would look great as a, you know, a digital wellness advocate, but that is not me being true to who I am and what I need. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of individuals, I think that the same has to go. It's how do you build out a plan and and basically an engagement rule book for your social media experience. And for a lot of people, it might be, I love making TikToks. I want to keep making TikToks. And that's how I feel like I benefit. Where I'm harmed is by looking and counting the likes. So you have to ask yourself critically then, how do I allow myself to engage by creating content while backing away from harmful metrics? Or if you want to become more viral or that is something that is of importance, pursue it. But again, to me, it's always about just being as mindful and attentive in the current moment to your both, you know, bodily sensations and to your, your emotional state to understand what is triggering you to enjoy your experience and what is triggering you to be harmed. Mm -hmm. And if you act upon those basic impulses and feelings and sensations, you will begin to build, I think, a better, more accurate picture of what your like your digital usage is, what the state is currently, and where you want to go. But first, to your point, you know, oftentimes it can be really difficult to begin to gauge your own usage. But if you take micro moments and those singular scrolls and become more mindful, you will, I think, begin to see trends, patterns, and triggers that will allow you to create the tech life balance that you've always dreamed of. Let's talk about some of those tips. If you were going to be talking to, I'm not even going to say a younger generation, but any social media, digital media, technology user, which is everybody listening to this podcast because they're listening to this on a digital device, 
I would love to see myself in vinyl, but hey, can't we all be winners? <laughs> how, what advice would you give to listeners on how they can start to really examine their own unique identity and place in digital media? I would, I would be very simple because I think, you know, like with the book that I'm reading, Atomic Habits, like you want to make it easy and you want to start kind of small. So for individuals who want to begin to chart and, and develop a digital relationship or a relationship with their technology that benefits their, their well-being and allows them to inch closer to their goals and objectives in life, both personal, uh, professional, and beyond – I'd say just be more mindful in the moment. So take five minutes at the end of, you know, your time listening to this podcast and scroll through your phone, um, pick the app you spend the most time on, whether it's your Gmail, whether your it is your, your social media platform, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and be mindful. Really prod and poke with each thing you see. So I instantly start scrolling when I go on my phone. Why did I start scrolling? Did I feel like I had to scroll? Um, what images am I seeing? What do I want to do after understanding that this picture made me feel X, Y, Z? Do that for five minutes and see where it takes you. And once you've done that, ask yourself, okay, well, what did I really find? What made me feel most anxious? Are there trends? And asking really simple but important reflective prompts and questions as you go into apps, it makes you more mindful of your experience, but also what it does is it gives you valuable data and feedback to then be able to really form, shift, and shape how you use in the future to amplify feelings of fulfillment and happiness and mitigate uh, ways in which you feel like you are harmed or you are feeling like, you know, more anxious by scrolling. So take those five minutes, be more mindful. And then the second thing I'd say is after you engage more mindfully in those five minutes and beyond with social media, enter with intention. Attempt to minimize your passive usage. Oftentimes with social media, we are told limit your screen time. I actually think that that is unproductive because not all screen time is created equal. I think that there can be passive screen time when you are scrolling mindlessly, you feel like you're not in control. Again, you're passive, so you're letting the app take you anywhere and everywhere. Um, and what that does is it really deprives you of your agency. It, it is taking your attention and it is not taking into account what you want to see and what will better align with your values. So when you go in, do not allow that usage to be passive. Allow that usage to be active. Go in with a purpose. So if you want to scroll for five minutes after work because you've had a long day, do it, but set the timer and say, I'm going in for five minutes right now and then do it. Or if you're going in to post something or to see a specific image go in and do that, but have that be very intentional. That is active usage. That is you deciding to go in and to engage on your social media platform with a purpose, and it makes it easier to leave. Because once you have accomplished that objective, you have gotten what you wanted out of that experience. That was yours. You decided to do that, and you were agent in that decision, the process, and in the, you know, and in, in just the, uh, relationship and experience with your technology. So to me, if individuals take, you know, two things out of what I've been saying from this podcast episode, it's be more mindful in your experience. So be attentive to the present moment, your present emotions and your feelings when you're engaging online to better understand, you know, how you benefit and how you're harmed. 
but then also be intentional. Go in with a plan, with an implementation plan for, you know, what you're going to use, what you're going to engage with and stick to it. Because if you're more mindful and if you're more intentional, you'll find it's much easier to feel like your social media is an extension of the beauty of the online world, allowing you to express, to explore and to connect with others rather than a device that causes you harm or anxiety. I love it. And something interesting about, I I actually had Dr. Anna Lemke on this podcast a few episodes back. It's been a minute since we talked, but something that she had pointed out was that digital addiction in and of itself is actually limited to a very small part of the population. It's not as common Mm -hmm. as people think, but like you said, with your Pavlovian response and being reactive to every, you know, every consuming like or noise or Mm -hmm. buzz to be able to immediately mindlessly go in and do that. That's more of a learned response. So I love the fact that you focus on mindfulness and really putting that, I love the word agency, back into your own experience and, and giving listeners that tool to be able to lean back on because I do think it is important for for listeners to implement and then also listeners that are parents or that have influence over younger generations that are going to be the next iteration of the 12-year-olds dancing around with their iPods. Mm-hmm. It's really important to um, put those parameters into place. So cannot thank you enough for coming on the podcast for sharing your expertise. You are incredibly wise and have so much knowledge to share in this space. And I'm so grateful for everything that you've done and, um, you know, what you've done with log off movement. I think it's just the start and I can't wait to see where it goes. And I know all of the listeners here can't wait to look into it and learn more about it. So tell us where listeners can check out log off movement, where they can, Uh, learn more about you and how they can support this initiative. Absolutely. So the Log Off Movement, uh, you can find most of our work through our website, thelogoffmovement.org. Or again, because we are not anti-social media, we are pro, you know, tech intentionality um, and, you know, healthier relationships with social media. We are on Instagram and Twitter or X now. Um, So we are on at Log Off Movement. Um, You can find us on all of those platforms. Amazing. Emma Lemke, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Social Complex Podcast. Your support means the world to me. So if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, be sure to leave a five-star rating and subscribe to our show. We'll be releasing a new episode every Tuesday, bringing you various stories, deep dives, and discussions around the complexities of social media in our modern world. To follow along for more, be sure to follow us at Your Social HQ on Instagram or check out Social HQ at www.yoursocialhq.com. I'm your host, Hillary Applegate, and I'll see you back here next week. Stay sane out there.